0: Let me ask you a question. What is your original design? Whatever ever else you get out of this sermon, I just want you to ponder that question for the rest of the day. What is your original design before life's wounds messed you up? Before maybe the mistakes you made that marred your life? What were you originally designed? Who were you originally designed to be? In Dayton, Washington, where my parents are from. There are three houses that have been in my family for generations. One was built by my great-grandparents. It's just this beautiful house, dark hardwood floors, big porch in front of it. When my great-grandparents died, my aunt lived in it, and then she sold it to someone outside the family. And they enclosed the porch, which just totally wrecked the architecture. Now it's got this flat front, right? And, and, And the weeds now are ankle high, and the shrubs cover the house. Paints peeling, driveways cracked, it's a mess. But when I look at that house, I can still see it in its original design. I remember it for what it was designed to be. And our lives can be like that house. The enemy moves in and messes up our original design until we are almost unrecognizable. Someone sent me a a humorous story a while back. I told at the men's retreat about a man who went home with a friend for dinner and notice that the friend treated his wife really well. He, he hugged her, he kissed her, complimented her. And this man was so inspired by his friend that when he got home, he brought his wife flowers and he kissed her. And he said, honey, you look great. I am the luckiest man in the world. And she burst into tears. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, it's been a terrible day. Billy fought at school. The refrigerator quit working. And now you come home drunk. She didn't recognize him. I guess that wasn't his original design. Life has a way of marring us beyond, and so we are beyond recognition what we were originally designed to be. Sometimes that's even through things that we think of as good. I think of some folks I know, very successful, a lot of prestige, a lot of money, but they also carry a lot of stress as they anxiously claw their way to the next accolade. They have buddies, but not a lot of deep friendships. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with success if you just kind of got there by being who you are. But if we need it in order to, to feel joy or feel like we're important or that we're loved, well, then you're in bondage. That's not God's, who does God who God designed those people to be. He designed them to have joy and great relationships and adventure with him in redeeming the world. Sometimes we're marred through wounds we receive from parents or peers. Sometimes it's a physical or mental illness. Sometimes it's a mistake that we've made all of these things mar our original design but just like when i look at my grandparents house i can still see it in its original design jesus can look past the weeds the peeling paint the chip driveway all the flaws in your life look past those things and see you for who you were created to be and we see that in the story we read where jesus cast a demon out of a man It says, the townspeople then saw that man sitting there in his right mind. In other words, his original design. Now, this story can be kind of alien to us, kind of foreign for us, because we don't believe so much in demons anymore. We've kind of lost that. And and it's true that a lot of what the Bible ascribed to demons, we today can explain, we know now that they are mental illnesses or addictions. And in the past, this passage has been unfairly used to say that people who are mentally ill must be demon-possessed. Not true. A lot of reasons for mental illness, including biochemical issues over which people have no control. However, we also do live in a spiritual world. And the same Bible that affirms that there is a God, the proposition most of us accept, also asserts there are spiritual forces that work against God. The Bible calls that the devil and his demons. And they don't actually possess us. That's kind of more Hollywood than Bible. The Greek word that is used most often is demonized, harassed by evil forces and impulses. So what is harassing you and keeping you from living into your original design? What is it? Worry? An attachment to controlling others that wrecks relationships? Wounds from your past? What is it? And sometimes those things can seem overpowering to us, can't they? It says the man in this story had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. In other words, not even chains could bind what was harassing him. Ever feel that way? That whatever it is that is keeping you from living into your original design, it is just stronger and faster than you are. John Orberg, who's now the pastor at my former church, tells a story about getting to tour AT&T Park in San Francisco. And he got to do some batting practice when he was there with John Yandel, the guy who threw batting practice for Barry Bonds. But John said he felt kind of confident about this because, you know, when he was in the fifth grade, he could hit the ball better than any of the other kids in his neighborhood. Of course, there were only two others, and they were in first grade, but, you know, he felt good. So Yandel started throwing the balls, and they were just whizzing by, and John thought, hey, he is not just lobbing these things, he's throwing them as hard as he can. But after many, many attempts, John eventually managed to foul off a couple of balls. And then Yandel said, okay, now that you're warmed up, you want me to put some speed on these things? John realized he'd been throwing them as hard as he could all along. Or been lobbing them all along and then just giving him softballs. Well, afterwards, Yandel filled out a a scouting report on John just for the fun of it. And and he said, John bats right, throws right, took 10 minutes of batting practice. As a hitter, John makes a good pastor. (laughs) Do you ever feel that whatever is harassing you is coming at you faster and stronger than you can handle? The good news is it is not stronger than Jesus, whatever it is. So if you're like me right now, you might be wondering, okay, sounds good. Where do I sign up for the class that will show me what my original design is? In the narthex? How Presbyterian of you. (laughs) There is no class. This is a journey. And you're going to have to hear it from your father, and it's going to be different for every one of you. But there are some things that can be helpful along the way. The first thing we need to know our original design is Jesus. Kind of obvious. A lot of things can help us, help return us to our original design. Doctors, therapists, they can help. But there is also something supernatural at work in our world. And in this story, when Jesus shows up, the demons flee into the pigs and then the pigs go over the cliff, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, you ever wonder about the pigs? Like, what's up with the pigs? Right, well, I, I read a whole lot of commentaries on this and they are unanimous on the fact that they don't know. No clue. clue. But one theory is is it shows how dumb evil is. That is, the demons ask to go into the pigs, Jesus lets them and that's what destroys them. Sometimes getting what we want is the worst thing for us. But the main point here is Jesus has authority over the things that harass you. There are supernatural forces at work in all of our lives. I'm not saying we're possessed, but there are supernatural forces at work in our lives. Jesus has authority over those to bind them and cast them out of your life. We need him. Second thing we need is to break agreement with the enemy's lives. You know, a lot of times we make agreements with whatever it is that keeps us from living into our original design. So, for instance, the person who was told growing up that they were ugly or dumb, they're often insecure. But every time that person shrinks back from meeting a new person for fear of rejection... Every or decides not to attempt something for fear of failure, they are agreeing with the enemy's lies, aren't they? They're saying, you're right, I am ugly, or I am dumb, or whatever, and I will act that way. I will shrink back in fear. I will feel shame. I will act according to the lie. That is false. God gave every one of us skills and talents, and, and that person may not be using theirs because of the insecurity. So they end up hanging on to their dysfunction. And you also see this in the story. After Jesus frees this man, you would think the townspeople would start lining up to be cured of what ails them, wouldn't you? But no, what do they do? They ask Jesus to leave. Why? Because when he, sent, he wrecked their economy when he sent the pigs over the cliff. And they'd rather have their money than a demon-free life. And that's often how we are with the things that harass us. We want them gone, but then we also kind of hang on to them, right? It's sort of, take it, Jesus, take it. No, really, take it, take it, right, with our hands closed. Because, you see, every dysfunction has a function. That's why we keep doing it. There's a payoff somewhere. Folks may not like the damaged relationships that come from their need to control others, but it gives them a sense of importance, at least temporarily. Folks may not like the addictions that they're in, but it numbs out the pain, at least temporarily, even if it makes life worse later on. So find the function in your dysfunction, the reason you're doing it, and then break agreement with the lie that it's working for you, because it probably isn't. One of our elders this week read me a a short essay about a Native American proverb that says, whenever you find that you've been riding a dead horse, the best strategy is to dismount. (laughs) Wise, huh? However, government and business often have other strategies, such as appoint a committee to study the dead horse. No comment in this church. Lower the standards so that dead horses can be included. Or when all else fails, promote the dead horse to a supervisory role. (laughs) If you are riding a dead horse, dismount. Dismount. Do you want healing from a sexual addiction? Then say, I break agreement with the lie that this is working for me. It's not. I'm bound up. It's making me miserable. It's making my relationships awful. If you want freedom from that, say that line. Break agreement with it. For me personally, one of the ways I am finding freedom from... The feeling that I have to achieve in order to be loved is to repeatedly say, I break agreement with the lie that I am defined by what other people think of me. Instead, I will listen for the voice of my heavenly father saying, You are my son, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And take my identity there. Now, it's true that sometimes the thing that is harassing us is maybe a mental illness or a physical illness that we, don't, we can't control. But even in those cases, we can at least say, I refuse to believe the lie that because of this thing, I can have no joy and life has nothing to offer. And I choose to believe God's truth, that he can bring good out of pain and give me joy in the middle of this and use me to help others. A pastor named Tony Campolo tells a story of being in a church where he prayed for a man who had cancer. And a month later, he got a call from that man's wife and she said, you prayed for my husband who had cancer. And... Campola's first thought was, had, yes, a miracle. And then she said, he died. But don't feel bad, because before you prayed, he was filled with anger because of the cancer. He would lie in bed and curse God. And the madder he got, the more miserable he was and the more miserable he was to be around. It was awful to be with him. But after you prayed for him, an unusual kind of joy came into him. The last month has been the best month of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've prayed, we've told stories. They've been wonderful days. And then she said something profound. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. That man died closer to his original design than in many ways he'd lived. Because Jesus healed him, even though he wasn't cured. And because he broke agreement with the lie that cancer meant that he could not have joy. We need Jesus, break agreement with the lies, and then third, we need to act on God's truth. And let me emphasize two things in that sentence. We need God's truth about who we are. Not the voices from our parents or peers who told us we were small or dumb or whatever. Not the voices that we hear in the media. We need to hear God say, you are my son, you are my daughter, this is who I designed you to be. No one can tell you your original design except the Father which means we need to be in prayer and reading the bible to see the things kind of things god says we need good christian friends in our lives who really know us and who can speak truth into our lives and say this is who you really are and if you don't have some of those that's why we want you in small groups or sign up for anything just to get to know some people who can do that for you and we need to be in worship You know, through the media, at work, the world tells you its messages 24-7-52. I only get you for 20 minutes a week to try to undo the damage. It is not equal time. That's why I talk so fast. In order to know our original design, we need to listen to our Father. And in other sermons, we've talked about how to hear God's voice. Get that sermon and put it into practice. A couple of weeks ago, after my son's little league game, he said to me, I am the worst person on my team. And I said, no, you're not. You struck out once, but then you got two base hits and a double. And he said, no, I didn't. I always struck out. And I said, no, you didn't. I was there. I saw it happen. And then he said, well, everyone else always got doubles. And I said, no, they didn't. Some of them struck out. I was there. I saw it. And then he said, well, I didn't feel anything. And I said, that's because no one hit the ball to you. I was getting frustrated, right? The lies in his head were so loud that he could not hear his father's voice telling him the truth. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? So for the rest of the day, I played this little game with him. I'd say, are you the worst player on your team? And he'd say, no, that's a lie. And I would say, are you the best player on your team? And he'd say, no. And I'd say, well, then what are you? And he said, I'm a good baseball player and I'm getting better. The enemy gets in our head and convinces us of all kinds of things about ourselves that are not true through scripture, prayer, worship, and through godly friends who really know you, listen to the truth of who you really are and then act on that truth. Now, as as though your original design were true, act as if it were true. Now, if my son heard my truth and never went to another baseball game, what good would it do him? Right? We have to act on God's truth. So, for instance, I do not need to achieve to be loved. God loves me and so do my closest friends. I will act accordingly. I will do my very best at work, the thing that God has called me to do, but I'm not going to overdo it and I'm not going to overstress it. I'm also going to spend time being a whole person, family and friends and all of that. And then as we act on God's truth, His power comes along to help us out. As I've said before, when Moses stepped into the Red Sea, that's when it parted. Act, and then God's power helps us along. Because this is more than just wumping up a bunch of willpower, right? We all know willpower alone is not going to cut it. A while back, I was at a conference, and the speaker was talking about how he needed to lose weight. And so he said, so right now I'm on a diet. And then he said, as a matter of fact, I'm on two diets. I find you don't get enough food with just one. <laughs> Been there, right? Well, It's true willpower alone won't do it. But when we step out and step into God's promises and begin to act as if our original design were true, because it is, then the Holy Spirit comes along and gives us power. In California, I had a student who was severely depressed and an alcoholic. She was also very deeply insecure because her parents gave her a lot of messages that she had to achieve to be loved. And no matter how much she achieved, it was never good enough for them. Well, her depression got so bad that one morning she showed up on my doorstep suicidal. So I had to commit her to the hospital for three days. And the doctors tried tried all kinds of medications on her over the next six months, and none of it worked. For some reason, her body would not absorb the medicine. Finally, we started thinking, hmm, maybe there's something more than biochemistry going on here. So we got a group of people together who would regularly pray for her. And they prayed that she would experience God's love. They prayed that she would be healed. They commanded the devil out of her life in Jesus' name. And over the course of the next three months, her body began to absorb the medication. And she started to have all kinds of breakthroughs in her therapy. And the medicine and the therapy, they were really helpful and important. But she also needed Jesus. That was the missing piece. But the alcoholism was still there. Well, along the way, she decided to go to Italy for a study abroad program. And I remember thinking, no, 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 no. This is definitely contraindicated. An alcoholic in Italy, not a good combination, right? It's not like the Italians are teetotalers, right? But one of my staff said, do we believe that God can heal her even in Italy? And I thought, no, not in Italy, no. <laughs> no. Can't be done. But before she left, my staff gave her a Bible and a tape recording of her favorite worship songs. Well, one night in Italy, she saw the worship tape on her desk and listened to it instead of going out drinking. Listened to it all night. And the next night did the same. And the next night did the same. And slowly she began to thirst for God more than she thirsted for alcohol. And she stopped drinking. Let me read you a part of the letter she wrote to me when she got back. She said, while in Florence, I faced the challenges of partying, but I didn't go out at night. Instead, I stayed home, just me and my Heavenly Father. I could feel Him sitting next to me. I could feel His love for me. I can honestly say that God is my best friend now. I've been a Christian since I was seven, but it took hitting rock bottom, seeing fear for me in my friend's eyes, and living my life worshiping alcohol and depression to make me believe in my heart what my head has known for so long. I'm not perfect. I never will be this side of heaven, but I am learning to see myself as God sees me. I actually like myself now. Original design. A few weeks after returning from Italy, she shared her story with the college group as a testimony of what God had done for her. And before all this, if you had asked me that not only would she stop drinking, but that she'd be able to tell 200 of her peers her story, I'd have said that'd be a miracle. And she would have laughed in your face because she was so bound up in fear and shame and insecurity and depression and alcohol. She had a lot of things keeping her from being who God designed her to be. Messages from her parents that said you're not good enough, biochemical issues that needed medical attention, and yes, some kind of spiritual attack that needed Jesus. And she had to break agreement with the lies that unless she achieved, she would not be loved. And and as she began to act on God's truth as if it were true, because it is, God's power came along and over time she was restored to be more who she was designed to be. I saw her a couple of years ago at a wedding and I could not get over how big the smile on her face was. She was a different woman, filled with joy and living a life she never thought possible. So what is keeping you from living into your original design? Will you break agreement with those things that hold you back and in prayer and worship fix your eyes on Jesus who can tell you the truth about who you really are and then act as if your original design were true because it is. A friend of mine told me a story about a UPS driver he knows who made a delivery at a business And a dog came out and grabbed onto his pants. And it didn't hurt, but it was just kind of scary. And he tried everything. He said, bad dog, stop it, down boy, get off. All this stuff, nothing worked. Finally, the owner came out and looked at the dog and said, release. And the dog let go. And the guy thought, well, that was easy. Well, a few weeks later, he had to go back to the same business, but he wasn't afraid because he knew the secret word to make the dog let go. So when the dog grabbed onto his pants, he said, release. But the dog didn't let go. So he said, release. Release, release, right? Nothing. Finally, the owner came out and said, let go. And the dog let go. (laughs) There was no magic formula. The power was in the master's voice. Whatever has got you by the pants. It is not, is that okay? (laughs) Is that any, am I getting emails? Whatever has a hold of you. It's not stronger than Jesus. It is not stronger than Jesus. Whatever is keeping you from your original design, he can make it let go because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So will you turn to him and say, Jesus, lead me to my original design and you'll be free. Lord Jesus, make it so. We can't do this on our own. And we're all different and we all have a different design. So would you please speak to us this week who we really are and help get us there. And we'll give you the glory. Amen.